This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, the podcast that loves the number zero, especially when I'm paying the bill. I'm Scott Phillips, and with me this week again is Dr. Anirban Mahanti. G'day, Doc. Good day, Scott. Now, Phil, I'm say I say this week, but a little bit of glimpse into the uh, in, into the background, into the into the mysteries of podcast making. This is actually last week. In fact, well, it's last week for us. It's this week for you. Yeah. We're going to be busy today doing some video recording for something upcoming, which is kind of exciting. But in the meantime. We've pre-recorded this for you. So if anything happened in the last seven days, we apologise for not covering it. Uh, We are going to instead cover some news that did happen last week, but also deal with some mailbag. We had a lot of mail left over from my one-off episode, and I mentioned that last week. Again, thankfully, you've got both Doc and I here so that Doc can do the heavy lifting and make it interesting while I ask hopefully some curly questions that have been sent in by you. So, Doc, let's get to it. And I want to start this week with a little bit of news that came from last week, in fact. And it's kind of a big, big change to the way that kind of the financial industry works in general. I don't want to put too fine a point on it, but kind of upends a lot of financial history. That is right, yeah. Now, before I talk about what that is, I'm going to just give a bit of extra background. So about a month ago or so, BT Investments, who most people won't have heard of or don't made me uh, immediately think of it, it's actually the financial services, financial wealth management arm of Westpac. It's mm-hmm. also separately publicly listed, but Westpac out of stake. And that business is kind of, you know, to, to Westpac what some of the uh, other wealth management arms are to the other banks. BT came out and cut its management fees on its managed funds by a big, big chunk. And in, in response, we saw the share price of fund managers fall. There is a real concern, and not only a concern, a reality, that the fees being charged by fund managers are, thankfully for everybody, coming down because simply there's so much competition that none of them can afford to charge the big fees they have been charging, which is a spectacular success and victory for you and I, or at least those of us who use financial planners. So that was kind of the news a month or so ago. Then Fidelity, the big US fund manager, mm-hmm. effectively said, hold my beer. And they released two weeks ago some news they were going to charge Let's say dot three carried the one, subtracted on your first thought of WRH, zero. Mm, zero. They are literally going mm. to provide a managed fund, index fund, that will not cost a cracker. So I, <laughs> there's, there's very few businesses that can make money by giving stuff away. Firstly, let's, let me ask you, why would they charge nothing? And then after that, I'll ask you what they hope to get out of it. Mm. So, so there's a very, very interesting news out there. So um, Vanguard, I'm going to actually switch from uh, Fidelity to Vanguard okay. for a bit. Yes. So Vanguard is uh, or, or largest provider of index funds. Right, the big daddy of index uh, funds. The big daddy of index funds. Actually, I'm going to stop you there because I like to do this. Mm. What is an index fund? Okay. So an index fund basically looks at um, an index like, say, S&P 500 mm. or ASX you know, 50 or ASX 20. So, so these companies like, say, the Standard & Poor, S&P, they make mm-hmm. these index yep. I- indices. Um, these could be the 50 biggest company. These could be the 100 biggest company. Oh, so in the, Australia, the ASX 200 is the ASX premier 200, index? ASX 200, you know, there's ASX 300, there's ASX All Ordinaries, all sorts of index, I- indices exist. Yes. And, and um, then you have basically some fund manager or one of these ETF providers, mm-hmm. exchange traded fund providers, who mm-hmm. basically um, follow the index, which means they buy shares in the index in proportion to essentially the weight these companies have in the index. Right. So up to relatively recently, 
the, the, the financial papers would say the market went up 5% today. Mm-hmm. And they would do that by adding together all of the value of all the companies. Yeah. Um, S&P would do it for them in this case, as you say. So yep. the S&P 500 is probably the, the oldest one in the US. Uh, Dow's a bit older, but it's a different structure. Yep. So the S&P 500, uh, standard pause would say, here's what happened on the market today. Yep. And in the past, you could kind of compare yourself to that and you might build a diversified portfolio that kind of mirrored it slightly. But as an individual investor, you couldn't buy shares in all of those 500 companies yep, and you couldn't buy them proportion and you couldn't <laughs> trade them in and out of them. So you just simply didn't. You either tried to beat yep. the market or you tried to kind of buy some blue chips that kind of represented yep. the market. The ETF providers, the index fund providers, the vanguards of the world said, hey, we'll provide a service. Yep. We'll give people a way to get the market return without having to pick stocks individually. You can simply put your money in an index fund that by definition tracks the index and that does the job. Exactly, yeah. So you think, you know, if you think of the ASX, ASX 20, right, you don't even have to figure out what percentage of each of those companies you need to buy. Somebody has done that for you. You just buy the, you know, the fund. Right. Right. And and it makes it easy for you. You can buy like, you know, one share, two shares, 100 mm-hmm. shares, whatever you want to do. Um, so this has become very popular. Vanguard popularized this. And Vanguard, essentially, if I am correct, is a not-for-profit organization, yes. which is... You know, otherwise, um, no, um, what's his name? Bogle? Yep, Jack Bogle. Uh, Jack Bogle. He would have been a very rich man. Um, so, so, uh, so it's a not-for-profit, which means they charge one of the lowest fees. And they char- the fees they charge is essentially to, uh, you know, have the, the employees they have and right. the systems that they run to essentially ensure that they can run all these different types of um, ETFs. Now, that, in the US, I want to say Vanguard's fee is like 0.04%, something ridiculously small. Oh, well, I mean, pennies even, on the dollar. Yeah, exactly. And even the ones that we have in Australia listed, mm-hmm. right? I mean, we, you can buy, uh, Vanguard has the the, the ASX 300 equivalent, yep. which is got like ridiculously low. At, 0.14, I think, from it. 0.14, which is really ridiculously low. Right, so ten, a, ten, or a sixth of 1%. Really, sixth, really small. Oh, yeah. uh, so that's, that, this is really, really cheap. I mean, and, and, and remember, when you buy it, you just pay once brokerage and then you're done, right? I mean, if you had to buy all of those, you pay brokerage so it's, exactly. it's 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 a huge huge win for the for the investors and vanguard was kind of leading this charge they were and they were taking money hand over fist from everybody else passive investing yep. is what they call it it's been growing dramatically in fact they've been passive investing has been enjoying fund inflows in other words yep. they get they're collecting more money mm-hmm. while active management so-called stock pickers yep. were actually losing funds exactly and vanguard was sweeping all before it until until so fidelity is one of the biggest active fund managers in the world right um they have fidelity in International, they actually invest even in Australia. There's a lot of small Australian companies they would buy shares in, they would mm-hmm. take you know corner three positions. Now, because um, passive investing has become so popular, a lot of money has flowed into a lot, huge amounts of money has flown into Vanguard's funds. Right. So, what Fidelity is now trying to do is basically cut Vanguard's legs. <laughs> <laughs> That's what they're trying to do by basically saying, well, we will give you index funds for guess how much? Zero dollars. So, effectively, I mean, on one hand, this is kind of the white flag. And say, look, we, we can't mm. beat you. We can't, we can't, you know, you've, you've been cutting our lunch. You've been doing lower and lower fees. We can't make any money doing it that way. Yeah. So on one hand, they put up the, red, on the white flag and said, we surrender. Yeah. On the other hand, though, they've done exactly the opposite. They've said, well, hang on, Jack, literally in this case, uh, we're not going to let you get away. We're gonna, you know, you, you want to you know what cheap is? Cheap is zero. And and you figure that, well, hey, anything better than whatever Vanguard's charge is going to be better, right? So you'd expect that Fidelity will get some money. That all sounds very good, except I don't know many people who can make money mm. not charging for their products that's a very tough business so to be. so, so and i think you had some speculation on this you know that was in in the group or our group it was the first reaction was oh <laughs> what is the whole point you're not going to make any money but of course the, the you could think of this as customer acquisition cost right i mean right. You're, you're basically trying to bring all those people who you're missing out because they're going to vanguard mm-hmm. 
bring them into fidelity, and hopefully maybe you can then try to convince some of those people to actually buy some of your active funds, right? And and Fidelity's got a lot of interesting active funds, and maybe that's their strategy, and they're going to charge fees on those ones, and mm-hmm. therefore make up mm-hmm. for you know the cost. Uh, the, you know, the, this is going to be a loss-leading product, which right. is going to then help them hopefully maybe um, gain uh, increase their share in the active. I think you're right. I think this is the act. This is the act of a desperate. How's it? Yeah, desperate's probably fair. A, a desperate fund manager, in the sense that uh, Fidelity know they are losing the war to to Vanguard, mm-hmm. and they're going to have to make a decision relatively quickly as to how they deal with that. Um, how they deal with that uh, that problem, and mm-hmm. and you've got a choice. You, you know, can you be cheaper than Vanguard and still make money? Well, maybe. But when Vanguard is point zero four percent, that's what is it? Four cents per thousand dollars, something like no, yeah, ten thousand dollars, like stupid, yeah, it's stupid, stupid, cheap, right? cheap, right? I mean, that's so you, you know, you could try and do point oh three or point oh two, and then Vanguard probably come down because they get bigger, and so that you know, Vanguard are probably always going to win the scale war here, and I think to some degree, Fidelity have kind of gone, well, guys, it's kind of you know, it's it's if not do our desperation times, I think really is they're saying, well, what do we do? How do we how do we keep our customers get new customers when Vanguard's so much cheaper mm-hmm. than us? And I think they've kind of looked the. Uh, uh, you know, look, 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 disaster in the eye, and said, "Well, we need to do something serious here." And and while they will undoubtedly lose money by providing this product, as you say, they're hoping to get as many customers as they can. And I think, in some ways, it's a very new economy model, right? So yep. think about Google. Google gives let, lets me use search for nothing. Mm-hmm. I can use it absolutely for free. They get nothing from me for using search. But you can also use Bing. I, yeah, it's no, a good search engine. No one, no one seriously uses yeah. Bing. So. Uh, <laughs> We just uh, just adding that I, yeah. I use Bing. You, you do, and 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 that's good. And mm-hmm. everyone else uses Google, and that's fine too. Yeah. Um, so you can use it. You can use a search engine, but I'll talk about Google in particular because mm-hmm. it, it kind of matters here. Um, you know, Google Google gives me the search engine for free, right? Just like Fidelity is now providing a zero fee index fund. Mm-hmm. But Google hopes to make its money from a whole lot of other ways. It makes its money from ad revenue. It makes its money from data. It makes its money from selling me additional services like Google Drive or, you know, it, it makes its money from the advertisers themselves who pay to access me. All those things are Facebook, another classic example, free product. You could say in, in another world, how does Facebook make any money? Well, we know it makes a squillion dollars and it's all from advertising. So think about how, mostly from advertising, think about how that Fidelity product might work in a traditional fund management sense. This would be the world's worst idea and it may still be a bad idea if they can't get enough scale. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're basically saying, look, the game has changed. We now can't compete on price. Zero is the new price for these things. We're going to have to find a way to make money effectively acquiring those customers, mm-hmm. as you say, Doc. Whatever, co- whatever losses they're making on this product, is effectively a marketing cost. It's a way to get people inside the Fidelity tent so they can find other things to sell them, like Google, like Bing, like Facebook, plenty of others. I've got to say, I don't, I don't hold huge hopes for the net aggregate profits of the funds management industry as a result of this. It mm-hmm. can only go one direction and be very, very scared if you own large chunks of fund managers. This is very, very bad news for, for industry-wide profits. But Fidelity, to their credit, to some extent, or, or maybe just out of pure desperation, have recognized the challenge they've got and have basically said, let's go new economy, let's acquire customers with a zero-fee fund and hope we can make some money by monetizing them some other way. They probably will to some degree, and if they can get enough scale, that, that makes sense. There is not enough money to go around. I don't think there are enough customers to mm. go around. And I'd be very – if I was in the bottom half of fund managers, either on returns or profitability, I would be very, very mm. scared. Right Absolutely. Now. Well, what will be interesting is if Fidelity or BlackRock or one of these other big guys start actually paying 
people to actually come and join. Uh, I mean, silly, you know, silly so, well, so the silly idea. So maybe that's a, you know, I'll pay you hundred bucks to bring your funds over, or pay you thousand bucks one time to bring your funds over. Right. I mean, this is funds management. Yeah. At the same time, Comsec is doing ten dollar trades under a thousand bucks. The likes of Robin Hood in the US or Stake here yeah. are doing literally zero dollar brokerage. They're finding other ways to make their money. Uh, to some degree, this yeah, this is how this is what competition is supposed to do, right? When and it's this great is a customer wins. Yeah, totally, <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, like, yeah. As an oh. investor, though, just be just be mindful of and, and Doc, you talk about this all the time. But the pace of change, the the technology, the ability to scale, uh, globalization writ large, these things are absolutely disrupting even existing industries. You know, things that you would have thought previously. What what could what could technology possibly do to industry X? Mm. The answer is people are finding new and exciting ways. Who 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 knew cabs could become a tech industry, right? And then Uber is kind of come and, and yeah. swept all before it. Um, the things that you couldn't possibly imagine tech could disrupt and effectively yeah. destroy, it is going to continue doing. So maybe there's a if there's a if there's a message there, it's for individual investors. Just be very mindful of what you own, what could disrupt it, and what is disrupting it. Don't be too complacent. Fantastic. Real money advice from real people. Not just a couple of dicks with a Porsche. Get more at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Mate, uh, I want to. I want to go. I'm going to go back to something. I, I had, uh, despite me talking for half an hour two weeks ago on, on the mailbag, we had lots of questions that were left still unanswered. Did you leave the hard and, ones out? Yeah, totally. Mm. I, did, I did the easy ones because you know mm. I can, and, and now I get to ask you the hard ones, which is perfect for me. Because um, if you answer them well, then we both look smart. Mm. If you answer them badly, then I still look smart. So right. I win either way. Mm. Uh, mate, I, I'm gonna, so I'm going to run through a few because I, I. You I, just I want wanna... a bit of fidelity. There is that. Yeah. I, uh, I <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I want to uh, uh, heads I win, tails I don't lose. Mm. Um, I want to. Uh, I want to ask you a few questions from from some of our from some of our correspondents on Twitter. So I had a, a question from Ilan Kluger on Twitter, and this is one that's not necessarily right up your alley, mate. But mm. I, I mentioned your your response to it, and I'll give mine. Mm-hmm. Ilan asks a really simple question that has a really complex answer, mm. and is what is your favourite calculation for figuring out the intrinsic value of a stock? Okay. Now, before you answer it, explain <laughs> what intrinsic value is and then tell me how you go about right. finding it. Okay. So, intrinsic value is essentially defined as the um, discounted sum of future cash flows. I don't think I've ever heard you say that phrase in your entire life yeah, before. I I, it's, just, it's one of those things. Okay. <laughs> so, 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 the basic idea is actually, this is a, it's a cute very nice, cute idea. As, as a scientist, I love the idea. The idea is beautiful. Right, right, right. Um, the idea basically is that, you know, if you knew what the future cash flows are going to be, or future profits, even let's make it simpler. Is the future yeah, profits yeah, right. are going to be? Yep. Um, and because money in the future is not worth as much as money today, so you, okay. so you know, which makes sense. You know, hundred bucks ten years from now versus hundred bucks now. Give it to me now. Right. So right? if you gave me the option and said, "Mate, I'll give you hundred bucks now, hundred bucks in ten years' time." There's inflation. I've got to wait. Exactly. I get much more enjoyment out of 100 bucks now. Thanks yeah. very much. No, I'm going to have so much Coke with that 100 bucks. <laughs> I can have. Why would I wait 10 years to have that right, Coke? Exactly. So, yeah. so I got to have nice. it now. Okay. So there's a price for waiting. Yes. Right. And that's the discount you apply. That you know the discount could be anywhere between eight nine percent depends on what 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 sort of discount rate you want to use. Yes. Um, so whole lot of complex maths and spreadsheets. Whole, whole lot of complex, but at a very simple level, you look at the you if you can estimate the future profits, yep. then you apply the discount and you sum it up. And you come with the current intrinsic value of the company. Right. And and also the intrinsic value kind of idea is also supposed to mean the real underlying kind of objective value, right? So irrespective of yeah. the current share price, yeah. you, someone's saying to you, how much, how much purely rationally, how much would you pay for this company's shares now if the future looked like X? Exactly. How, mu- how much is it actually? No, don't matter whether the share price is half or double. What's the actual value where value is not the same as price necessarily? What's the value of this company right now? Yeah. 
So, so, so that's all fine and good. But the problem is that you know the future is always uncertain. Yes, <laughs> and and it's hard to estimate future values. Right. And most people try to do it for the ten years. They you know assume some growth rate over from the current mm-hmm. you know profits for the first five years, and then discount it for the you know year six, seven, eight, nine, and ten. Mm-hmm. And you know as you go further out into the future, it doesn't really matter because I mean if you're looking hundred years out, I mean <laughs> you know you're going to discount it so much that it's it's probably in the pennies on a dollar today, right, right, right. right? So it really maybe ten, fifteen years is what matters. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so that, that's the classical way of doing it, if, right. and it works reasonably well for companies that are steady and you know you can sort of you know more certain future. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't work that well, well in my opinion, for you know companies that change frequently okay. or you know, tech companies are in, in classic example. And and in so my so my preference there is to think about you know I actually don't think about uh, intrinsic value in that that way. But what I like to do is I like to think about the total market opportunity. Okay. Right. So if I can figure out what a company's market is and what it is trying to get into mm-hmm. and how big that market is, then I can get a sense of how, you know, how much of that market it can get right. and how much of the profits it can get right, of that right. market. And that gives me a sense. And if, I, if it looks like it's a large market and the company is really small, uh, then, you know, it looks like a good risk to reward ratio. Right. There's no guarantees, mm-hmm. but, you know, that's sort of my thinking goes right i think it's a good point i think i'm gonna i'm gonna try and translate that back to a um, intrinsic value a little bit uh, to some degree inherent in your answer there is the willingness to be wrong pretty regularly yeah on the basis that when you are right hopefully more than you're wrong but even if you're right a little bit less than you're wrong yeah the, the ones you're right about will be so successful because they are small they're currently small parts of large markets and hopefully larger parts of larger markets over time mm-hmm. that the occasional 5, 10, 15 bagger is going to well and truly cover the three or four you get horribly wrong. Is that, is that fair to that, say? That, that is fair, right? Because you lose maximum 100% on the investment, right? You could, you could make a 10 bagger on investment, which is 1,000%. Right. So, so. You're, you're a growth guy. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of in between. I don't class myself either as value or growth, and I think those labels are probably a little bit useless, quite frankly. Yeah. But, in, but in general terms, people Everything is value and everything is growth, right? Right, exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, I, I, but, but you are right about the, the intrinsic value or this kind of cash flow approach for slow-growing companies. A company like Adelaide Brighton that makes cement mm-hmm. has only got a really small range of possible outcomes, right? Exactly. It, it, can't, it can't double tomorrow because, A, it's got very, very expensive infrastructure and capital yep. costs. It can't simply double. And, B, where are you going to double the sales of cement? Like, it's not going to exactly. happen, right? So, you, you, you can't you – can't, Pay too much for that, or you never, ever, ever get your money back. So, Woolies is a good example, right? Right, I mean, right. Yeah. On the flip side, you might have a company that is a, a big tech company that's going to do wonderful things, going to grow through the roof. Maybe it's going to double, triple, quadruple in size. Whether you're right or wrong by a couple of percentage points on intrinsic value is simply less relevant than if you get the broader big picture right. Yeah. Because if it's going to quadruple, whether it goes up three and a half or four and a half times is kind of irrelevant if it's if you get the rough yeah. quantity and the rough, the rough kind of range right. That's where the success comes from. Yep. Yeah. I like it. Uh, so yeah, look, I think in terms of the back to Elon's specific question, just to finish it off, favorite calculation, the only calculation is a discounted cash flow if you are so interested. Just be really, really careful. It's so easy to assume uh, imperfect accuracy. Yeah. But once you put in a spreadsheet, you feel like, therefore, it must be true. Some people love doing those calculations. I get it. I've done the same thing myself. I moved away from them because it does give you that false precision that probably is misleading. Being roughly right is far, far better than being precisely right. Love that. Motley Fool Money. Financial advice for real people, not trust fund hippies. Sign up for the newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Doc, super funds. 
What's now, up with them? Jack Magan says there's been a lot of talk about super fund returns recently. Mm-hmm. What are the unlisted investments super funds hold? If they are unlisted, how are returns valued from these assets on a yearly basis? Could there be a bias on their valuation? Right. So uh, maybe a clarification here. So if you mean by unlisted, mm-hmm. do you mean private investments? Yes. So right. a lot of the super funds, particularly industry funds, will have investments in yeah. unlisted businesses, right. unlisted uh, mm-hmm. assets, those mm-hmm. kinds of things. Yeah. Or even startups or, you know, right, some, exactly. some some are even doing like, you know, venture style investing. Right? Exactly. So so what you do there is, let's say you have, in a, you have an unlisted uh, business, but mm-hmm. you know, every business uh, has a valuation. Mm-hmm. Um Every now and then, say even an unlisted, you know, growing small company that you know a super fund might own uh, would have a valuation round where they're trying to raise more money, mm-hmm. and those valuations flow through. Um, essentially, those valuation numbers would flow through to them. Um, it's it's not as dynamic mm-hmm. um, as a real market price. So if yep. you own a entity in the stock market, it mm-hmm. is live and it has a value every day. Mm-hmm. Many of these uh, private entity. You know, they have their valuation essentially mm-hmm. done every couple of years or every year or so. So, yeah, right. it's not as fluid. Um, and typically, they would, I would think if they're done properly, they would have much higher discounts applied to them mm. because they're private market. So, yeah. Um, do I have a view on, on on super funds holding private entities? Yes and no. I mean, if the market, if the managers know what they're doing, then mm. it can be worthwhile. Yeah. If they don't know what they're doing, then they're playing with people's retirement money, which might not be the right thing to do. After all, this is retirement money. And right, maybe exactly. it should be invested to get just market returns, <laughs> uh, which which are fantastic. Eight, nine percent. If you yep. get over a long period of time, this is great. Why try to get 15 percent and end up with zero? Um, uh, it's a fair question to ask. Um, I don't have a view. Like, I mean, some bigger super funds do this and they do mm, it well. Mm. Uh, I think Australian super has, be, has been pretty um, uh, active yep. as, as, a, as a, and I think there's a role maybe to play yeah. for super funds if they're big super funds. So maybe there's a size issue and scale issue for them to operate. Yeah. That's at least what, what I think. I think it's a fair point. I, I will say, look, we've seen companies like Blue Sky Alternative Investments really struggle with the allegations that had overvalued private assets. And that always adds an element of risk whenever mm. you've got a super fund or any fund with unlisted assets, you only, you're only relying on the director's valuations. Mm-hmm. And that can be great or terrible. And I'd cast no aspersions on Blue Sky other than to say that exact uncertainty is prevalent there. And that's a, that's a big, big challenge for, uh, for, for investors. If you're doing it, like anything, if you trust the managers, that makes a mm. whole big bit of difference. So Warren Buffett with an unlisted investment versus Flash Harry with an unlisted investment, exactly. same investment. Mm. Do you trust either of them? I guess that's an open question. Yeah. Get more Motley Fool money advice at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Fools, we're going to have to wrap it up with a very quick high horse from me. I know you've been waiting for it. I know you've been I, missing out. Doc, welcome back. I know you're excited I am, to be back. I'm just excited to just, you know, you know what, is it going to be a positive spin on some I, negative news? You know it. I'm going to pile into, very quickly, I'm going to pile into the doom and gloomsters, the people who find nothing but bad news everywhere. I tweeted last week, and my, my broad point last week was, basically, we see so much of this doom and gloom stuff. If you think about every risk we've read in the AFR or the Herald or the Australian or the Age, and you add all those risks up. Oh, the economy could do this. House prices could do that. Retail spending could do this. Add all those risks up. Then think about how many of them actually happened over the last one year, three years, five years, seven years. How many of those have actually happened? I think exactly zero so far, Doc. Mm. And so if you add all those up and then think about the, the, the certainty, the surety with which those things would communicate to everybody, it's very, very clear to me. Those are massively, massively overblown. Now, they're all possible. They're all plausible. And eventually one will come true. 
The reality is, though, if you listen to all of those risks, if you, even those who gave individual risks, by, def, by the very definition, in aggregate and, and average, they've been massively, massively overblown mm-hmm. because none of them have come to pass. And it just reminds me again, and yes, we will have a crash. We will have a disaster at some point. These things will happen in cycles. But if you listen to too much of these risks, almost all of them, Pass without coming true. And so it just reminds me of the folly, the absolute folly of listening to these people. And they simply don't have a realistic grasp on what's likely to happen in aggregate. Even again, even I believe these people believe these risks. They, they are very consciously, conscientiously held, formed, communicated. They're just very unlikely to happen. And it's our, at our peril that we pay too much attention. They will cost us a fortune if we avoid investing because of those potential risks. I agree. Yeah, what for, think about those people who are waiting for five years for a crash to happen. Oh, man, it's been bloody expensive. Well, the market's, doubled. Very, very market's doubled since the GFC, right? And people are waiting for the double dip recession yeah. since 2009. Exactly. Yeah. So. All right. With that uplifting note, that does wrap us up. And don't forget, you can subscribe to Triple M Motley Fool Money Podcast through iTunes or your favorite Android podcast app. And if you like what we're doing, please give us a big five-star rating on iTunes. It helps the podcast get a few more listens, a bit more attention, and hopefully helps hopefully help some people get a little more foolish insight as well. That's it for this week's Motley Fool Money. We'll see you next week. Fool on. Fool on. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. The Motley Fool operates under financial services license 400691.